Welcome to the second of the two-part series on modern art, as we may call it, modern, modern art, even though it's post-1770 art, and would you really consider art from 1770 modern? But whatever. That's generally how we call it anyway, so we might as well just listen to our uh, art geniuses who say so, because they, they do know what they're talking about. Um, anyway, we're going to start where we left off, and that was to begin post-impressionism. Well, post-impressionism often refers to a general art movement that encompassed a variety of styles from an entire generation of artists. The strict sense of the movement can attribute post-impressionism to four prominent artists. Vincent van Gogh, Paul Cezanne, Paul Gauguin, Gauguin, and Georges Seurat. Uh, French, French names are not very easy to pronounce. Uh, who all, emerging from an Impressionist phase, adopted unique but distinctly different art styles. Uh, with the four preeminent post-Impressionists in France, as the movement progressed, post-Impressionism, of course, was predominantly a French movement that arose in Paris. Or in France, not in Paris specifically, but in France. The only agreement between post-Impressionist artists was that Impressionist paintings lacked structure and importance. So basically, the entire essence of the post-impressionist movement was rejecting impressionism. Um, agreeing that impressionism was faulty, the four leading post-impressionists, of course Van Gogh, Cezanne, uh, Gauguin, Gauguin, and uh, Seurat, uh, devised their own styles. Uh, the post-impressionist style is individual to each painter, thus each style must be associated with each painter, and you see that through our notable works. Uh, the first notable work is A Starry Night, which is perhaps the most well-known work of modern art. Maybe contested with The Scream, or, uh, goodness. I'm trying to think of, um, I'm trying to think of Picasso's, uh, I think it's Guernica, yeah. Uh, that's, it's an anti-Spanish Civil War painting. That, that's the one that I was trying to think of. Uh, between those three is basically what I'm thinking, personally. Uh, but I would say, really, between The Scream and Starry Night, and even then I would say Starry Night is probably the more well-known, because it's basically up there with the Mona Lisa, at least in my opinion. Because that's, when I learned the Starry Night, I... The only two paintings I knew in sixth grade were Starry Night, uh, The Scream, and Mona Lisa. But Mona Lisa and uh, Starry Night were, like, the two big ones, apparently. Um, but Van Gogh's magnum opus, of course, being The Starry Night, uh, depicts the east-facing window of his asylum room, yes, the lunatic asylum room, in, uh, excuse my French, because in this case, it's not French, because I'm trying to speak French, but I'm not good at speaking French, and I do not know how to pronounce this, but, uh, I think this is saint Remy de Provence, but I cannot confirm Again, email me, learningbywilliam at gmail.com, if you think that I made a huge mistake with pronouncing it, which I assume I probably did. Um, the image portrays the landscape just before sunrise, where whirling stars, the moon, and imaginary towns meet. 
For some information, Van Gogh voluntarily admitted himself to the asylum following the famous story in which he cut off his left ear. Van Gogh remained at the asylum from 1889 to 1890. Another one of Van Gogh's interesting paintings, this one's actually a very interesting one. This one's, uh, um, it's still pretty bland. It's not crazy. It's not like the Starry Night, but it's has an interesting story behind it, you could say. Um, Van Gogh's self-portrait is, of course, Van Gogh's self-portrait. The work was likely Van Gogh's final self-portrait, painted near his departure from the asylum. Um, the self-portrait was one of many that Van Gogh created, for he could not afford paint portraits of models. So he basically just made a lot of self-portraits. Um, he only sold one of his pieces in his entire life, so that's one reason why he didn't have enough money to get models to paint. Um, another work is A Sunday Afternoon on the Island of La Grande Jatte. I don't know if I'm saying that right either, but I'm assuming that I am. Uh, this is a painting of some Parisians, uh, Parisians or Parisians, I'm going to say Par Parisians or Paris Parisi Parisians, as they relax in a park on the banks of the river Seine. Uh, the painting, George's, George's Seurat's most famous work, is a founding work of Seurat's Neo-Impressionist movement. The Neo-Impressionist movement was a movement inside the Post-Impressionist movement. I, I may have butchered um, the Senna River. It's the Senna River. The River Senna. That's how they pronounce it in French, I, I, I think. I'm pretty sure. I, I had a, I've been having to look at uh, pronouncenames.com and Google Pronounce because I'm not very able to say many of these words. Uh, of course, different languages, inevitably not easy, and also names. So, yeah. So, and it's also Gauguin, not Gauguin. That's my, that's my fault. Gauguin, Paul Gauguin. Um, but the next, the next piece that we're going to is a Gauguin piece. It's called Where Do We Come From? What Are We? Where Are We Going? I found this to be an extremely existential painting, and you may understand why if you look at it. Not only if you look at it, but if you read about it. Uh, this is a deep and symbolic artwork created, of course, by Paul Gauguin. My... my, my my apologies <laughs> again. Um, it's probably his most famous work, and um, it's just a really incredible painting. It symbolizes life. It symbolizes the whole journey of life uh, from young adulthood, from childhood, all the way to death. So from the right, it, the, the painting was, by the way, the painting was the final piece he created before attempting suicide. Um, it does not seem that the post-impressionists were very happy in life. Uh, many, many painters, uh, especially from what I've seen in the late 19th century and early 20th century, have not been that happy. Even Pablo Picasso had his own problems. Uh, actually, his are uh, pretty famous as well, along with Van Gogh's. Um, but anyway, uh, from the right, the painting seems to depict the advancement of life from youth to approaching death. On the right, there are three women with a sleeping child, obviously representing youth. In the middle, women symbolize young adulthood. They're young women. Um, and in the left, on the left, uh, an old woman seems to be looking back, resigned to her thoughts. 
Uh, there are four notable artists. We've already discussed them from the post-impressionist movement. These are Vincent van Gogh, Paul Cezanne, Paul Gauguin, and Georges uh, Seurat. Uh, van Gogh was a Dutch painter who did not fare well as a painter, though he posthumously, humulously, humulously became one of the most famous painters in Western art. Van Gogh's style combined color and vibrant brushstrokes to convey his current state of mind. Paul Cézanne was a French painter whose art transitioned the arts of the 19th century to the radically different art of the 20th. Cézanne worked to restore structure and order, which was absent in Impressionism, in his paintings, wishing to, and I quote, make of Impressionism something solid and durable, like the art of the museums. This is actually Cézanne himself, uh, his own quote. Uh, Cezanne used planes of color and small brushstrokes that sought to form complex fields. Uh, Paul Gauguin was a French post-impressionist artist like, uh, who, like Van Gogh, was unappreciated until after his death. Uh, Gauguin is known for his use of color and synthesism, a movement that synthesized three features, the outward expression of natural forms, the artist's sentiments about the subject, and the aesthetics of line, color, and form. Uh, Georges Seurat was a post-impressionist most widely renowned for the artistic conventions he created, uh, such as, specifically, chromoluminarism, luminarism, and pointillism. Sorry if I butchered those words. First one was a very, very long word. I think that was seven syllables. Um, chromoluminarism... Uh, separated colors into dots and patches that interacted with one another, and pointillism combined distinct, minute dots of color to form artworks. That's post-impressionism in a nutshell. Art Nouveau began in Belgium and quickly spread to the rest of Europe and the United States. This is, of course, a movement in and of itself, where Art Nouveau became a popular art form throughout the Belle Epic of Europe. Uh, which was the period between 1890 and the beginning of World War I, so basically 24 years. Art Nouveau was a reaction against the art produced under the European Academies of Art, uh, eclecticism uh, and historicism uh, occurring in 19th century art. Art Nouveau often featured winding curves of plants and flowers, asymmetry, whiplash lines, modern materials, uh, all of which sought to create unusual forms, dynamic spaces, and movement. Uh, along with Art Nouveau's admiration of plant-shaped ornaments, the movement found inspiration in historical art forms, such as Gothic, Celtic, Byzantine, Rococo, Baroque, and Japanese art. The Art Nouveau style was addicted to nature, portraying women as stylized objects, not people, and exploring the human relationship with the environment. Um... The Kiss is coming up again. Klimt's The Kiss. It's, it's one of my favorite paintings, first of all. And second of all, it's coming up again because it is Art Nouveau. Uh, Gustav Klimt's uh, The Kiss is a work that is displayed in the symbolism section, uh, but it is also an Art Nouveau uh, work which resembles other Art Nouveau works. And you'll know this because Gustav Klimt has multiple entries in this, in this uh, particular movement. Uh, the Beethoven Frieze is a painting by Gustav Klimt. 
that was painted for the 14th Vienna, Vienna Secessionist ex Exhibition in celebration of Ludwig von Beethoven, the legendary composer whose music is literally universally recognized. The frieze is 7 feet tall and 112 feet wide. 7 times 16 is 112, so it is 16 times as wide as it is tall. But that's it's still 7 feet tall, so... It's still something else, right? Uh, the portrait... Oh, this is another Klimt work. There are actually three... Um, all three of the major works that we actually describe are Klimt works. Uh, the portrait of Adele Block Bauer, the first, is another Klimt work, which depicts, of course, Adele Block Bauer, a woman who potentially had an affair with Klimt, uh, in a chair that is similar to the wall behind her. She is sitting in a chair that is similar to the wall behind her. Not, not they had an affair in a chair. So it's kind of hard to, to discern that because I wrote this. It's written in regular, non-scripted form. So this is, this is just simple, just plain writing. So it, it's kind of hard to read it and speak it without you being able to see the script, basically. Um, other notable Art Nouveau works include Princess Hyacinth, uh, Judith and the Head of Holofernes, uh, and Death and Life. Some notable Art Nouveau artists include Alphonse Mucha, Gustave Klimt, Charles Rennie Mackintosh, and Hector Guimard. Uh, Fauvism is the style for the French group Les Fauves, French for the Wild Beasts. Um, this is another movement, of course. The Wild Beasts, quote-unquote, were a group of early 20th century artists whose works highlighted strong color and painterly qualities. The group rejected Impressionism and its emphasis on representational and realistic values. Uh, the movement, while well-known, lasted for only a few years, from 1905 to 1908. Uh, the movement's principal figures were André Durain and Henri Matisse. I use Henri Matisse in almost every single reference that I make to someone named Henri. I had to do it only because whenever I'm trying to teach people about William Henry Harrison, I try to force them to be able to figure out his name before, before I talk to them about him. Um, and I don't have any, I don't, like, I don't know much about King Henry. I don't know much about any other Henry. So I kind of am forced to be like, Henry Matisse. So there is an artist named Matisse. His last name is Matisse. Do you know what his first name is? And then you have to lead them through it. I, I normally just give them that after a while because not many, not many 16 year olds know who Henry Matisse is, but to each their own, right? Um, Phobus art consisted of wild brush strokes and harsh colors that contrasted with simple and abstract subject matters. Uh, with a vivid, more understandable definition, Phobus art can be considered a blend of an extreme form of Van Gogh's post-impressionism and Seurat's pointillism. Fauvism received considerable style influences from post-impressionism, applying and often blending the foremost post-impressionist styles. Uh, Fauvism is often considered similar to Expressionism, which will be discussed later in the episode, uh, for its use of pure color and unconstrained brushstrokes. 
What are perhaps the most distinct elements of fauvism are the stunning similarities between different fauvist pieces, whether the pieces in comparison are created by the same artist or not. For example, Matisse's Woman with, with a Hat and Durain's Portrait of Matisse resemble one another in color, uh, the subject's expression, the color's contributions uh, to the piece's relaxing elements, and the use of light and pale colors. Some notable Fauvist artworks include the portrait of Madame Matisse, a portrait of Henry Matisse's wife, uh, um, the woman with a hat in French, La Femme au Chapeau. Uh, I'm sorry if I mispronounced it. I've on I only, I don't know much French. Um, another Matisse portrait of his wife, um, the Charing Cross Bridge, Andre Durain's um, bright and unrealistic rendition of London's Charing Cross Bridge, um, and uh, the portrait of Matisse, um, Andre Durain's portrait of the other leading Fauvist artist, Henry Matisse. Uh, the two foremost Fauvist artists were Matisse and Durain, the founders and the leaders of that movement. Uh, expressionism is, not was, a modernist art movement that began in poetry and painting around the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, the movement began in Northern Europe and as an avant-garde or experimental style before the First World War. Expressionism as an avant-garde style was radical in, in comparison to current, concurrent art movements. The movement embraced a wholly different and unnatural style, which incorporated the distortion of the world in the painting to create an emotional effect that evoked moods and ideas. Expressionism portrays how artists felt about their subjects, not how the artists realistically depicted their subjects. Uh, the Old Guitarist is my favorite expressionist work. Uh, it's a painting by Pablo Picasso that depicts an elderly musician, a musician that is blind, uh, cadaverous, and weakened. Uh, the elderly musician wears threadbare clothing while playing the guitar on the streets of Madrid. With dull blue colors and the depressing subject, the old guitarist is an icon of melancholy. The painting is indicative of the struggles artists, whether painters or musicians, face. Uh, the elderly man in The Old Guitarist seems to be underwater in the scene, in my personal opinion, uh, portraying both the inescapability of an artist's poverty and the suffocating despondence of an artist in their hard times. Uh, Blue Horse the First is an oil painting by Franz Marc depicting, unsurprisingly, a blue horse. The blue horse features a blue horse among a landscape that can only apply to a fanatical blue horse a landscape that displays unnatural colors and odd topography. Uh, New Couché is another famous example of nudity in art, uh, created by Amadeo Madigliani. Uh, New Couché uh, depicts a nude woman, uh, that is red nude in English, by the way. Uh, the nude woman is in a sexual pose, and the painting, because it's sexually evocative, sold for over $170 million in 2015. Uh, with the subject's agonized and anxious face, The Scream is an instantly recognizable piece. Created by Edvard Munch, Munch, Munch uh, The Scream features a subject that is screaming, of course. Uh, the background, as an expressionist background, does nothing to ease its viewers, for the sky is a blood red and a fiery orange. 
Uh, Munch attributed the painting to a sunset when he suddenly saw the clouds turn blood red. He sensed an, and I quote, infinite scream passing through nature, inspiring him potentially to create the piece. Uh, some notable expressionist artists included Edvard Munch, uh, Wassily Kandinsky, Ernest Ernst, uh, Ludwig Kirchner, and Franz Marc. Cubism began in the early 20th century as another avant-garde or experimental movement, a movement that fundamentally changed European art forever. The leaders in the Cubist movement were Pablo Picasso, Georges Barak, uh, Jean Metzinger, Albert Glises, uh, Robert Delaunay, uh, and Juan Gris, or Gris, among others. In Cubist art, objects are analyzed and broken up. Later, the pieces are reassembled into abstract artwork. Cubist artists emphasized a variety of viewpoints, depicting subjects from many viewpoints instead of one. Because of the number of influential Cubist artists and the many movements Cubism affected, Cubism is widely considered the most influential movement of the 20th century. Uh... I may butcher this one, too. It's another Pablo Picasso work. Uh, Pablo Picasso's Les Demoisets de Avignon is a 1907 oil painting that portrays five nude female prostitutes in a brothel. None of the women uh, is, in conventional terms, feminine. Uh, and all of the subjects are painting are painted in an unnerving and unconventional or uh, confrontational Manners. All of them are painted in unnerving and confrontational manners. Uh, the Weeping Woman is another Picasso piece created in 1937. The piece was a final painting Pablo Picasso created in response to the bombing of Guernica, Spain during the Spanish Civil War. The painting is an abstract Cubist work of a weeping woman, specifically Dora Maillard, um, Pablo Picasso's mistress from 1935 to 1943. In uh, Guernica itself, is one of Picasso's best-known works. Many art critics regard the work as the most powerful anti-war painting in history. The large painting portrays the suffering and tumult caused by war violence, featuring suffering through a mutilated horse, a screaming woman, a deceased baby, and a dismembered soldier. The painting, um, the painting is not extremely gory, but you can sense the despair in it. That, that's what makes it such an incredible painting, is that you can just sense the despair in the painting, like the despair. But there's no blood. There's no crazy gore that makes you go, ugh. It's all emotion, pure emotion, not blood, not gore. It's just emotion. And that, that's what made it such an incredible work. That's what made it one of my favorite works ever. Not my favorite work of Picasso's. I would say that... I would probably say that um, that the blue violin player, as you may like to call him, or of course the old guitarist, I would call that my favorite Picasso work. Um, but it's arguable, let's just say it that way. Um, the portrait of Pablo Picasso is a portrait of Pablo Picasso. Uh, Juan Gris's portrait of Pablo Picasso is an iconic example of Cubism in that it incorporates Cubist styles and depicts the foremost Cubist painter. As you can see, Pablo Picasso dominated the Cubist movement. Um, 
he was, of course, the most notable of the Cubist artists, but there were also uh, Georges Braque, uh, Salvador Dali, uh, Juan Gris, or Gris, uh, Paul Cezanne, yes, the painter who was also a post-impressionist leader, and Piet Mondrian. Uh, surrealism, which was my favorite 20th century movement, was originally a movement of poetry and writing, though it would eventually diffuse to artists. Uh, the movement began in 1924 with André Breton's Manifesto of Surrealism, which labeled surrealism as a revolutionary movement. After the movement expanded from Paris, it attracted artists who would produce an artist's surrealism. Surrealist art incorporated many of the art styles of prior movements, such as Cubist and Dadaist art. Dadaism was another avant-garde of pre- through post-World War I Europe to form an entirely new style. Uh, techniques in surrealist artworks include collages, assemblages, painting on sand. Um, you'll see this in Salvador Dali's The Persistence of Memory is one very good example of painting on sand. I actually have a, uh, and I actually have another, I actually have a film of, like a film picture or like a, um, a slide of another painting on sand form of Salvador Dali's painting on sand. He was one of the big surrealists. Um, and also fumage effects. Fumage is an art technique that creates impressions from the smoke of a candle or a kerosene lamp, among others. Um, Salvador Dali's The Persistence of Memory is one of the most well-known surrealist paintings. It's one of the craziest ones as well. Uh, featuring many soft, melting pocket watches, the persistence of memory reflects Dali's thoughts at the time, especially his perhaps unconscious thoughts on the relativity of space and time. Uh, these are the thoughts of British art historian Don Ades. Uh, other notable surrealist artworks include The Broken Column, Frida Kahlo's self-portrait of herself that portrayed her suffering as a result of a significant car accident when she was 18 years old, uh, René Magritte's Philosopher's Lamp, uh, Magritte's self-portrait meant, meant to represent the agony of his addiction to pleasures, including smoking, uh, he is smoking a pipe in the painting, um, and The Lovers, a Magritte po portrait of two figures as they kiss. Uh, their heads are covered with veils so neither of them can see one another, which is extremely interesting. I, I couldn't think of anything. I, I think it's pretty obvious what you could possibly think about it, but I would suggest that you just think about that yourself. Look at the painting and see what you think about it, what it, what it inspires in you. Uh, notable artists from the Surrealist movement, which, like many of the other movements mentioned in this chapter, continue into today, include Salvador Dali, René Magritte, Pablo Picasso, yes, Picasso was also a Surrealist, uh, Frida Kahlo, uh, Jean Miro, that's my cousin's favorite painta uh, painter, and Max Ernst. A pop art emerged in the United Kingdom and the United States in the late 1950s. Pop art is recognizable because of its unprecedented e emphasis on banal topics in popular culture. For example, Andy Warhol's Campbell's Soup Cans, which, regard, which are regarded as one of the greatest artworks in human history, uh, is just an artwork of 32 Campbell's Soup Cans. That's what it is, literally. A pop art focuses on randomness and irony, creating interesting artworks that portray uninteresting subjects. A likely the most recognizable artwork in the highly recognizable pop art movement is Andy Warhol's 
Campbell's Soup Cans, a large painting of 32 individual paint Campbell's Soup Cans. Other notable pop artworks among many include Roy Lichtenstein's Crying Girl, a comic book-like painting that depicts a crying girl, uh, a crying woman. Uh, Wham! Another Roy Lichtenstein painting that depicts a plane's rocket explodes as a plane uh, rocket explodes into another plane, basically, as two planes hit one, or like, as a, a plane's rocket explodes another plane, basically. Um, and also, Mamebi, a comic-based work depicting an anxious woman as she waits for her date to arrive. Some notable pop artists include, some of them are still alive actually, Andy Warhol, Roy Lichtenstein, Keith Haring, Richard Hamilton, Romero Brito, and David Hockney. And now the final crazy thing is contemporary art, or if you talk to my cousin, contemporary art. Contemporary art certainly does not have a culture or country origin, for the movement is representative of the newfound diversity and shortened distances deriving from, for example, the invention of the internet and our increased globalism. There is no uniform style in contemporary art, allowing contemporary artists to explore a wide range of techniques. Uh, because contemporary art's diversity makes it hard to decipher a distinct style, we will not discuss style. A lot of art hobbyists I know cannot stand contemporary art, for it is exceptionally different from the prior art. Having seen a significant amount of contemporary art, I have mixed feelings about it. For example, I saw many disconcerting contemporary artworks at the Baltimore Museum of Art, yet at the same time I walked through a, let's call it this way, a pultritudinous sea of colorful curtains, and I deciphered the words on a massive, tenebrous piece. That was one of the most interesting experiences of my life. I was at the Milwaukee Art Museum, and I basically spent like seven minutes at this one specific uh, painting. It was not even a painting. It was just a large portrait of one specific phrase, and I had to look at it. I, I, could, not get, I could not go away from it. It was something else. Because contemporary artworks shall continue to be produced as the movement dominates, let this empty list of contemporary, of notable contemporary artworks motivate young artists. Join that list. Uh, notable contemporary artists, all of whom are alive, include Richard Prince, Marc Grotjean, uh, Rudolf Stingel, Christopher Wool, Peter Doig, Takashi Murakami, and Jenny Saville. A contemporary art, as seen through the diverse list of contemporary artists, is art. Unlike any art, unlike most, almost every major art movement, contemporary artists are not just European or American males, but European, American, African, Asian men and women. Men and women. Uh, unlike other major movements, contemporary artists are openly expressive of their sexualities, uh, genders, and these artists are proud of their heritage, their race, and their person. That is what makes contemporary art, though, Really weird, really beautiful. As we conclude the series on the history of art, let us understand the importance of art history on the person. Art as a medium between the artist's brush and the artist's sentiments cannot be overestimated. Art as a platform for human desire and passion cannot be overvalued. 
art as a passionate representation of our progression as a species, from the caves to the skyscrapers, cannot be exaggerated. A deep and emotional painting can make us feel as deep and emotional as we would feel reading Plato's Republic, or Romeo's soliloquy in Romeo and Juliet. Or if we were embracing Elizabeth Barrett Browning's words in Sonnet 43 of Sonnets from the Portuguese, or Martin Luther King's words in I Have a Dream. Art is representative of that same beauty we derive from literature and oratory, and thus we must value it in the same way as we value our literature and our oratory. Thank you all for listening, and as always, have a good morning, afternoon, evening, and night. Take care, and stay curious.